Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Marcus Chan. He is the founder of Venley Consulting Group. He's a Salesforce top influencer, LinkedIn top voice, executive member of Forbes Business Council. He helps B2B sales professionals sell more and sell better without needing years of experience. Marcus, welcome. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on, especially because the topic of sales, it's something that I have always tried to get better at. And it's not like my, I would say my default talent. And so I'm really excited to dive into some questions with you today. First of all, tell us how you became a sales pro and how did you create your own success? First off, thank you so much for having me on. I talk about sales. I'm obsessive about sales. And what's interesting is I believe sales is an ongoing journey. Like me personally, I wasn't a born salesperson. Um, similar to you, more introverted at heart, actually. I'm now what I like, consider, I think I'm a tested ambivert, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> introverted at heart, like being with too many people for too long, I get worn out. So growing up, I worked at my parents' restaurant and I was very much more of the back of the house guy in the kitchen, washing dishes, cooking, et cetera, doing those type of things. You know, they pushed my comfort zone to serve those type of things as well. So I never thought I would like actually be in sales. And I remember like my first sales, like actual sales job, but it was like a retail sales. And for me, it was more of an hourly job. So I didn't even think of myself as like a salesperson at all. It was like, I was working in a retail store selling like Speedos and Speedo accessories because I used to be a competitive swimmer. And okay. that was my, kind of my first taste into selling. And what I would do was on weekends, I would go to a swim meet, set up like you know, swim, a, a stand of swimsuits and for like 10 to 12 hours, be slinging speedos and selling. And I didn't think I was actually that good at it. I was just trying to help people. But after my first couple of swim meets, my boss went to me and said, hey, Marcus, somehow you're doubling the sales we do every single weekend at these events. I'm like, okay, like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just showing up, do what you told me to do. <laughs> I didn't even realize at that point what I was doing. And then later on, I eventually got an internship, worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. It was a sales and management internship. And this was specifically where I was being told to go and sell car insurance and upgrade people. So now that was like, okay, this is like legitimately tied to my responsibilities. And I did pretty well. And I was like, okay, that's pretty interesting. Like I did pretty well from there. And then when I graduated, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I still wasn't willing to admit that I was like, okay, at sales. I wasn't willing to admit to say I'm in sales. That wasn't like a thing I wanted to do. And I remember graduating, not knowing what I wanted to do. And I had five different job offers. I was really fortunate. And the offer I went for was actually a B2B sales role. But it wasn't even at that point. It was always like my, I was instinctually pulled towards it. But it wasn't like I want to be in sales. It was for a startup division of enterprise where it was all B2B sales. Right? I had to grow something from scratch. And that was more appealing to me to grow something from scratch from nothing. And I remember like, this is like my first legitimate. Now this is like, there's cold calling, walking to businesses, like door knocking, running full discovery calls, full presentations. Those things I never done before in my life. Cause all these people kind of coming into like a retail environment. And that was a whole new thing for me. And I remember my first day I went to my boss and said, Hey, what should I do? He says, I want you to go out there and knock on doors. I'm like, okay, like walking to businesses. Like, yeah, walking to businesses. See if you can drop up some, some business, book some appointments, see what you can do. I'm like, cool, boss. Like, how many doors should I walk into? He said, walk into 30 doors. 
So I went out there. I didn't have my own business card yet. I had his business cards. So I took his business cards, started walking to businesses. That day I walked over 60 businesses. Oh, wow. Didn't book, didn't close a single business, didn't book a single meeting, generated zero interest. The next day I said, hey boss, I went again next day, over 60 businesses again, same result, nothing. <laughs> so at this point, 120 doors, right? So I was like, oh, wow. Like I thought I was okay at sales, clearly not good at all. <laughs> when it came to like <laughs> turning cold prospects into like actual opportunities, couldn't do. And then the following two days from there, I called every single one on the phone. I cold called every single one multiple times. Booked it. Again, no appointments. And literally at the end of the week, I'm like, how is it possible? I literally made hundreds of touches to potential prospects and have booked zero meetings, closed zero business. I made a terrible choice going into sales. <laughs> That's when I realized it, right? So now fortunately, eventually I kind of figured it out. I was able to fortunately have some success, kind of just turn, turned it around. And from there, I started to have success and got promoted multiple times. It got to the point where I got promoted multiple times, built multiple seven-figure operations. And then I decided to go to a whole different company to try my hand in a different industry. Because at that point still, I was like, can I do this anywhere else? Like maybe I got lucky. Maybe I got lucky building these operations to be very profitable in the recession. Maybe I got lucky. Maybe just timing, whatever. Let me go somewhere else. Went somewhere else. Fortunate has some good success, got promoted very quickly as well. You know, within a couple of years, I was running a Salesforce over hundred plus employees, doing a lot of revenue, did that for many, many years. And at that point, like years later, I was like, oh, you know what? I do like sales. I'm in sales. This is a career for me. But it wasn't an overnight success for me. It took a lot of failures, a lot of mistakes, a lot of self-learning and self-diagnosis to get to the point of being able to realize I actually love sales. I love the process. I love the mythology. I love the game. I love who you become. And then I really realized to sell is really to serve. When you understand that when you sell at the highest level, you are serving at the highest level, it becomes something much greater. But that's my evolution, how I got into something I didn't expect and eventually made a whole career to what I do today. So you said that starting out, you're very much of an introvert. How did you kind yeah. of shift that? Like, how do you manage that if you naturally kind of get drained with tons of people in the sales world, you're always talking to people. Yeah. So it was a lot of state management. I remember early on, like, I mean, still, even like today, if I have a day full of sales calls, I'm pretty tired. Like I'm like mentally zocked out. Like I need like <laughs> nobody to talk to me. Let me, I'm going to just kind of chill for a little bit. It's, it still happens even today. Part of my journey into trying to learn how to be good at sales. Like I remember going to the library after the first week of struggling, going to the library, getting a bunch of sales books, classic books, Zig Ziglar, you know, Jim Rohn, Brian, Chase, all those books. And you know, I remember early on, like those didn't really help me that much the sales books, but they were like the personal development piece really kind of stood out to me. And I remember, you know, one of the things that it was, it was a Jim Rohn book or Jim Rohn quote, it was when you work hard at your job, you, you know, you make a living. When you work hard on yourself, you make a fortune. And that really spoke to me. And that was a realization. At the same time, one of the books I came across was Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within. And that was like the turning point for me in realizing I need to be a better version of me. I need to be better at managing my state, managing my energy, managing the control, controlling the controllables. Because before that, I was kind of waking up, eat some breakfast, kind of roll to bed, you know, go to work and just kind of each day kind of blend into, into another one and not really having a, a direction or path. And I started kind of studying, you know, what he meant about, you know, about state management, but also started studying like peak performers. Like what, what do the peak performers do to make sure they were in state to be the best version of them from athletes to, you know, business people to salespeople. And I realized there was many things that I personally was not doing 
to position myself to be the best version of myself and to give myself energy. So I started doing different things that would give me more energy so I could like mentally be ready. I wasn't the guy who could wake up of bed and be ready. I had to like wake up like, okay, give me some time by myself, <laughs> you know, move a little bit, get my blood flowing, exercise for a little bit, you know, visualize for a little bit, meditate a little bit, read some goals, make sure, you know, I'm, I'm tapping into my own necessity, look ahead in the future and do these things to put myself in the state. So then I'm like, okay, now I'm feeling good. Now I can go and have sales calls. Now I can be outgoing for the time that need to be. All right. But then on top of that, making sure I'm also recovering. So I'll basically do these things where I would like expend energy and then recover, expend energy and then recover. So for example, if we had phone sessions, like, you know, maybe we hit the phones for say 30 minutes or an hour, and then we have a little break. Most of the salespeople want to go kind of BS a little bit, do whatever. I need to be by myself. I would go and like, if that was probably a weirdo, I go for like a little walk around the building just to get some air, you know, just, just, yeah. just like gather myself, just to get myself back into that state. Habits just like that helped me, you know, all throughout. So now like over time, the more I've done that, I've gotten better at managing my state where sometimes I don't get the luxury of being able to have that little really charge moment. So I make sure I'm walking to the state, but then I've trained myself to be disciplined enough to be able to push through and then recover at the end of the day. For example, like, Back in corporate America, you know, I might be, if, if I'm putting out a big annual sales meeting with a bunch of other leaders, I mean, we might be on from like 4 a.m. to like midnight for like three days straight. After three days, we were like, <laughs> we're like, I don't talk to anyone for like a week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I need to recover. So it's just finding a good balance of how you can expend energy, but also recover is so key, but also being able to operate within yourself. So I think for me, me being more introvert early on, probably because of the career, maybe more in the middle of the ambient, <laughs> but I still need my time. Like being around people for too long, I still get exhausted still. I love that. So in walking through your journey, what are you grateful for? A lot. I think number one, uh, easily my health. Health for sure. I think obviously the times like COVID, whatever, it's even more important than ever. I'm very grateful for just my health, just being able to have the opportunity to be also in a financial situation to be able to eat healthy, eat organic, eat the things that are good for me, be able to spend more money on quality things. That's I'm really, really grateful for that. I'm also grateful for all the things I made mistakes for. All my learnings, all those things I believe have helped shape me and made me a better version of me. When tough things that happened in my past where I had a failure or maybe things didn't go my way, I feel fortunate that I've learned from those situations, you know? So that's been really key. So I feel very grateful for that. I feel grateful for obviously my family for supporting me. I feel grateful to be of sound mind. All of these things, to be able to have the opportunity to give 100% to do what I love to be able to create a life I want to do. Not many people can do that, but also more importantly, to realize that. That's important too. So people have no realization of that. So those are things I'm grateful for is positioning me in a way where I'm able to create the life that I love, right? And I'm continuing to build upon that and to learn from that every single day. What are the top ways that you help sales professionals improve their skills? Yeah, so it's a couple of different things. One of the core things that I really help uh, sales professionals do is number one, providing that really clear structure and guidance. And that's across the board for their whole sales process. That's everything from, I call top of the funnel work, that's prospecting, that could be phone work, email, social selling, et cetera, to how they run the sales calls, to how they control it, to how they close it down. But also going deep into how they actually run each part of the process to make sure it's, it's ultimately refined and they're not playing what a lot of people call the numbers game. And 
in sales, I think it can be misinterpreted quite improperly, if you will, because yes, you do want to know your numbers, but I believe a lot of leaders say what that means is you just need to do a high repetition of export of whatever. So for example, if you want to hit your number, you have to make a lot of calls and maybe send a lot of emails. That's true to a certain extent, but I'm also a firm believer. It's similar to like going on a road trip somewhere. If you go on the road trip the wrong direction, no matter how hard you go, how many repetitions you do, you're not going to get to where you want to go. Like I'm in Portland, Oregon. If I want to drive to Texas, okay, if I just head westbound, okay, no matter how hard I go, I'm not going to make it to Texas because I'm going the wrong direction. And that's why I see a lot of people doing their sales process in which they're not in the right, heading the right direction. They don't have the right you know, frameworks, the right script, the right tonality. So they try to hit certain number, numbers and metrics, and that's the wrong way to approach it versus making sure you have the right direction, the right frameworks, refine that, and squeezing your conversion every part of the process. And then once you're deep in the actual running a sales call, I help them really master the art of asking questions. At the heart of everything are questions. Like if you don't like the answer, ask the better questions, what Tony Robbins says. And in sales, those who ask the best questions are the ones who ultimately are able to generate the most amount of business and close the most amount of deals. And I help sales pros really master every part of the process, including that as well. So what are some of the top mistakes you see sales professionals make? Number one, I would say it's um, not controlling the controllables. There's many things you can't control because like sometimes timing is just not right for your customer. Sometimes they're in a bad mood, whatever. You can't control that. Maybe they lost a deal. Maybe someone's always in their business. You can't control that. But as a sales professional, you can control actually a lot of things on your side. And I'm probably one of the things you can't control are the controllable. So for example, how well do you prepare for a sales call? How well are you doing research ahead of time? How well are you just like, that's stuff you can control to make sure you feel confident walking in. All right. Even the questions you ask, like you don't want to interrogate because you want to cover with them as a framework, right? Mm -hmm. That's all about preparation. So preparation, I think is one big mistake. Many people do not do. The second big mistake is they oftentimes they focus too heavily on the pitch or the presentation. And what I mean by that is they're so focused on what their solution can do for that prospect. And they want to sell them so, super hard on, Hey, my product has this feature, this benefit, et cetera. That doesn't matter as much as, hey, what does a prospect actually really need? So really shifting to be more customer-centric and spending majority of your sales process, 80 90%, if not beyond that, asking questions. Really meeting the prospect where they're at and covering what their needs, wants, desires, et cetera, are. And only if it's a good opportunity, good fit, then presenting that solution to make sure it aligns together. Because if it's not a good fit, it makes it very, very, very hard. So those are probably the most common mistakes I see across the board. And when they do it consistently, that definitely hurts. And then the third piece, I would probably say is realistically tied to that is lack of consistency. That's also huge too, because even if you have the right targeting, the right messaging, the right questions, if you're inconsistent with prospecting, then your numbers, your results are going to be a roller coaster as well. And I see that a lot, especially if there's like heavy fulfillment. So for example, even for business owners, I, I see as well, like maybe for an agency model, they may be prospect heavily. So they have a lot of inbound leads where it's going great. And then they fulfill them. And then they, they go like this. The top professionals like yourself, they know, hey, I'm going to keep marketing. I'm going to keep sales at the forefront. So our business continues to go upwards regardless. So that consistency is so key across the board, whether you're a sales professional or a business owner. Yeah, definitely. So what are the best ways to close a deal? 
I think it's one of the best ways to close a deal is make sure you do everything right on the front end and really make sure you uncover everything that's most important for your prospect. It's very hard to close a deal if you have no idea, you know, what their needs are, what their desires are, what their goals are, what are their pains, what are their problems, is there a cost of an action, do they have doubt in themselves that they can actually do it on their own or use somebody else. If you do a lot of stuff on the front end, it ultimately makes it a no-brainer. If you could do it on the front, it makes it so much easier. So, for example, one really common reason people do not close deals or deals get stalled is they do don't do a good job uncovering the decision-making process, especially in the B2B world in a mid-market to enterprise sale, you might have five to 10 or 15 buying influences in an opportunity. May only be working with one person in that sales process, and they don't have all the champions around them to help move the deal forward. So what ends up happening is if they don't do a good job of uncovering those people in the front end, it gets to the very back end where they made the offer, they had the proposal, but it's getting stalled because everyone has to review everything to make a decision. And at that point, usually it becomes so focused on price that any value you may have shown that initial person is now gone. So if you think about this, if you do on the front end, where on the front end, before you present a single thing, you uncover who all the primary buy influences are, you make sure they're involved as part of the process, you're meeting with all of them, you're covering all their needs, their design, all of whom we just mentioned already. And then you make sure when you're presenting your solution, it hits every single point everyone needs. At that point now, you become the obvious choice because everybody feels really comfortable moving forward with you versus just one person. So if you really think about this, if you could map out the most common objections that people object to closing with you, you incorporate your sales process to basically check them all off beforehand. So when it gets to the very end, assuming they're qualified, it's going to be a no-brainer. And you'll close at 35 40% plus because you've done so much on the front end. That's the best way to close a deal. It's not about a hard close or no special line. It becomes so logical and also emotional for them that they have to go with you. Otherwise, anybody else makes zero sense. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Very insightful. Especially when you're saying about making sure that you are not just considering, you know, all of the questions that the person you're talking to is, but all of the decision makers. How many people don't think of that? Especially in B2B, it almost always gets stalled because of that. Yeah, definitely. So how can you overcome overthinking in sales? A lot of times I find overthinking comes when you don't have clear direction or conviction or certainty in what you are doing. In today's world, I feel like more people overthink than ever before. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, you know, and I think it's probably because maybe social media, we're living like information overabundance everywhere. And I find those who are most successful, and this hasn't changed at all. I mean, Warren Buffett has said one skill you want to develop to be massively successful is focused. And I think about this perspective where if you want to remove overthinking, you want to be able to focus. And what I mean by that is eliminate all the information you're consuming about sales. If you want to improve your sales process and you choose a couple people that are proven and you follow them. I'm not saying follow me. I'm just saying like you find like a couple people that you know have done what you want to do, have those skills, and you primarily listen to just them and you follow their mythologies. Because if you read like too many, then you have too many potential conflicting thoughts and that can really cause some, that can cause a lot of uncertainty in yourself. 
Mm-hmm. And the mistake a lot of people make is they go out there. Like I did that. I was reading all these sales books, some messaging, some had different messaging. And I'm like confused. I'm like, what should I say? What should I do? What should I ask? I mean, even worse for me. So it's like you choosing those people and then just committing to it. And one of the most important things you, you need to be successful in really anything is you actually have to have massive belief. If you don't have massive belief, like if you can picture a triangle, like I call the belief triangle, one corner is belief. You can have low belief and high belief. If you have very high belief, then you'll do the next corner, which is effort or hard work. Then you'll put the effort in and work towards it. And only if you have high belief and also high effort, you'll have the top part of the triangle, which is going to be success, high success. But it starts with high belief first. So that's why I always recommend choosing one or two people that are really good. And this is for anything. So it's kind of like if you want to learn how to be a great tennis player or great or chess, choose one or two people who are really awesome at that and follow their mythologies. Do those first, master those first. And once you have certainty in those, you're having success, start adding other things as well to add to your game. And eventually over time, you'll create your own mythology and your own way to do the thing that you have so much certainty is going to be the best for you. That's really good. So what's one of the best ways to increase your income as a salesperson? Best ways is increase your skills, <laughs> first off, right? So, yeah. and what I mean by that, there's a couple of different ways. So when you think about this, if you want to increase your income, there's really kind of like three levers you can kind of pull. Number one, this is kind of like most people kind of go toward, which is just work really hard, work harder, okay? Work harder, see more people, make more calls. Make more calls. Yeah, for sure. Yes, for sure. But what you run into is you only have so much time. And I don't know about you. I also wouldn't want to work 80 to 100 hours a week as a salesperson. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I got a family. <laughs> like yeah. I, I enjoy doing things. I like having weekends. I like doing, you know, spending time and seeing friends and family and go out to eat. And, you know, I love that stuff. So you could pull that lever. Okay. I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard, but you, you know, you should work hard, but I don't know. You could, yes. You could say, if I'm working 40 hours a week and I'm making say 80 K I could work 80 hours a week and make, you know, 160 K. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Maybe the second way you can increase is you improve your skills in closing, right? So that means doing a better job at asking better questions, controlling the process, better targeting, better controlling, you know, from A to Z, the sales process. So you increase your closing ratio. So you can still work the same amount of hours, get better, basically run the process, you'll close more, right? That's going to have an, an exponential effect because your closing ratio drives it so much more. Or the third piece is you increase your skills where you increase your average deal size. So what that means is either you go after larger opportunities or you get better at diving deep in your discovery to be able to offer more or better packages right? Or you're able to bundle solutions more and upsell into the business as well. And the, the truth is, is if you want to increase your income really well, you can do all three. Yes, you can work harder. Yes, you get better at closing. And yes, you also work at selling bigger opportunities as well. But those are probably the three levers you can really pull to really move into pretty quick. Now, if you want to change your results overnight, just go right to number three. You know, like a simple way to even be able to generate more income is you just charge more. <laughs> all right. Let's just say, for example, the package you're selling are $50,000. You know what? Assuming you can validate the value that you have, start increasing it to $75,000. You can do no more work. You might close a little bit less, but you'll make dramatically more income because now your deal sizes are massively bigger. That's really good. How did you use your sales skills to get to where you are in your career? I never thought I would start my own business. And what was interesting was early on when I first started selling, I'm out there selling. And once I kind of figured it out, what happened when you, 
when you do a good job with that, if you can leverage that skill to learn how to sell, not just externally, but also internally, that really helps your career. So I didn't realize I was doing this, but early on, when I started kind of figuring it out, I started teaching other people on my team how to do it as well. So I started selling to them how to sell. I didn't realize I was, I was doing that, right? And then on top of that, I started selling to my boss without realizing that I could teach other people on other teams. So they started to see like, oh, wow, this market's got a lot of value. He can sell and he can teach other people. So what happened when I started doing that was I started getting opportunities to get promoted. And then on top of that, I started realizing the power of influence and persuasion internally. So I started to influence internally and, pers and persuade to be able to take on more responsibility, to show more value to the company, and ultimately open up more doors to get promoted. Now, what's really interesting from there is when you start realizing how powerful you start, you start realizing pretty quickly, like sales is not just me selling someone again, transaction, a sale is ultimately being able to influence some other party, a third party to part ways with time, money, or some sort of resource. And I started realizing like, wow, this is actually really powerful. So you start learning other ways to get better and better and better at this from writing copy to, you know, social selling and et cetera. Starting to go rising up, up the ladder in the corporate career. You know, I remember at that point, you start realizing pretty quickly, and I'm sure every salesperson has thought this, who's done well, they say, hey, I just sold this million dollar deal. I'm only getting paid like a fraction of this, like a very small percentage. What if I started my own business? <laughs> just sold my own stuff, right? Yes. I think I thought that like, why would I, I'm giving away all these profits, right? And, and it's true, because obviously it's, it's spread across, you know, multiple departments, et cetera. But, you know, you think as a salesperson, and I remember I was still, even at the point though, I was thinking about this. I didn't want, want to go and become an entrepreneur. That wasn't like my thing just because uh, my parents were entrepreneurs. They were small business owners, they had a restaurant, and that wasn't the life that I wanted to live. So I remember um, in 2015, you know, at that point, I got promoted like 10, 11 times already in my career. And I've been in my corporate career for, you know, not even 10 years at that point. And I kept getting questions like, hey, Marcus, how did you get promoted? How did you get promoted? How did you get promoted so quickly? How did you do these things? I'm like, you should write a book. So I wrote a couple of eBooks. I started selling online. This is my first taste of internet marketing. And I started selling them online. I'm like, wow, that's really neat. Hmm. What else? Can they okay, I saw online. Started learning different ways of selling. This evolution of direct selling to selling online was a whole different world to me. Started learning that to you know quit my corporate job and start my business full time, sell my own products and services. Because learning how to sell and all that ultimately gave me certainty that I can go do it for myself and sell my own products that I created. And it was really hard. It took me years like to, to get to that point. And it's funny because I've had people ask me, say, hey, Marcus, like, wow, like, you know, you've built a pretty good business so far in the last couple of years. Like, do you ever wish maybe you had left earlier on? So maybe you would have had, say, five years ago, maybe you would have had more time to build your business up. And my answer is no, no way. Because all those experiences I've had, those failures and mistakes I've made have gave me so many tools and experiences that I get to utilize to build my business, but also in the people that I'm helping, which are B2B sales pros, help them as well. So when they're breaking down a scenario for me, I can lean upon the experience I've had in the past of making mistakes in past deals that cost me deals to help them be able to move that deal forward. So uh, sales for me has been a life changer for me in so many different ways from being able to not just, you know, obviously the income is fantastic, but more importantly, to be able to really influence and impact others to help them be the best version of themselves for their own sales career. So what are some of your client success stories? We have a lot. I mean, I'll just share one. I got, I got two just from yesterday. So every other day I get success stories, but like, for example, you know, Reed, he's been on my program for 33 days now as of today, 33 days as of today. He's already successful. He's 24 years old, doing about 200K a year, just joined 33 days ago, whatever, how many days he joined? 
over a month ago and going through our system and our process. This is called the biggest deal of his career. He's going to get paid out of commission on the single deal he closed yesterday for thirty to $45,000 commission alone off a single deal. Wow. Right. So pretty awesome. Sam messaged me yesterday as well. So Sam, he initially, before we started working with them, before this, he joined in February, 2020. So before this, he was in B2B sales. It was always averaging about 40K a year. He was like, he wasn't even sure he wanted to stay in sales or not. You know, join my program. Pandemic hit, right? This is February, 2020, right? He actually had started his own business, a recruiting agency, was freaking out. We put him through our program. He finished 2020 earning $121,000 from 40K to $121,000. Now he's continued that same trend this coming year. So, so far, he sent me a message yesterday. So, so far in 2021, he has already earned $212,000 through mid September. So, he went from 40K to 121K his first 10 months in the program. This year, he's already hit 212K. So, right now, he believes he probably pays over 300K from himself, you know, and he lives in Malaysia. So, he's like, rich. <laughs> He's like rich out there. <laughs> That's nice. Right. So, so we have plenty of examples just like that. Ultimately, one of the reasons we have such a high success rate is I'm also very selective who I work with, right? Because there's no magic pill. There's no secret sauce. It's not like people pay me a bunch of money, join a program. They're amazing. They come in, they got to show up. They got to put in the work. Like I'm not perfect, but I'm going to give them direct feedback on what to really improve. And when they execute it, they get, get results. And that's the magic goes. An example is off the top of my head. So Josh, Josh joined my program back in end of July, July 31st. His prior background, he was a soccer coach. Soccer coach got into software sales. He'd been in software sales at this point already for about seven months. Was not having the success that he wanted. Like in that time, closed like one deal. Joined my program at end of July. In the month of August, he closed three deals, $185,000 in closed sales, more than ever closed ever before. $14,000 commission just on a single one in the first 30 days of working with them. He's continued to execute already because he's doing so well. Like they actually just promoted him to be a regional vice president and gave him a 35K base bump as well. What I love about sales is when you are able to go out there and you are able to show your value, it's not just the way I teach, it's not about showing just your value in selling, it's showing value that you are actually a professional in how you run your business more opportunities show up. So what ends up happening is we have people, yes, for sure, they make a lot more money, but more importantly, they have more confidence in themselves. They believe in themselves. They're getting promoted. They're getting better jobs. They have better work-life balance. They're working less to making more. And ultimately, they're able to do what, more with the money they have with us, invest, buy homes, buy new cars, put their kids in private school and do the things they actually truly want. They merely use sales as a vehicle to achieve their dreams. That's why I love what I do because I know money's not everything, but it gives you a lot of freedom of choice when you have it. And I'd much rather have money than to not have money. Yeah, definitely. So what is your truth that has gotten you this far in your journey? What really drives me? And I would say for years, I thought I was living an intentional life. I really did, but I wasn't really clear on what really like, drove me inside. And I actually read a book by Brandon Burchard, High Performance Habits. This is like, I think 2015. And it kind of like hit me. It kind of hit me, which makes make, make kind of sense. And that's when one of my first eBooks started selling that because I always thought I'm a hard worker. I work hard. My parents are immigrants. I wake up, I work hard. This is what we do. But I never really thought what really drives me? What's my why? Like if I was to die tomorrow, what do I want people to know me for? What's my truth, if you will? And it took some soul searching and I realized it really breaks down to three things. Like if I was to die tomorrow, 
I want to be known for number one, leaving a legacy. And not like I want to build a massive empire, but more like, hey, the people I positively influence and impact, that they're like, wow, because of Marcus, whether it's like their clients or not, maybe they, they just read my blog post, maybe they just read my content, maybe they're just watching my videos, you know, able to get results on their own. And because of that, their life has changed. I love that, right? Or maybe they're more confident or whatever. Maybe they had one coaching session with me and it just shifted how they perceived X, whatever. So knowing I'm leaving out a legacy of people that have positively influenced and served. The second is influence. So I've heard you that term a few different times, influence. And I'm not saying from like being an influencer, I think it's really cheesy, but more so that I have positively influenced people, right? Like my interaction with them, let them walking away, feeling good and knowing, you know, it was a positive experience. Yeah. To me, that's really, really important. And then the third, I love or care, knowing that whatever I did, people knew I showed up and gave 100%. That I did it with care and love, that it wasn't, it wasn't sloppy. That's why it's like, it's not about perfectionism. It's about that pure intent that I did it out of love and very intentional. So that's why it's actually interesting because I get a lot of people that they look through some of like my, like my reviews and case studies, they see like tons of like texts and like, you know, screenshots, of like text messages, DMs, et cetera, with me and all these like clients, even though it's not one-on-one coaching, it's a group program, but they're like, wow, you're that involved. I'm like, I am because I care because yeah. I love my clients. I love them and I want them to be successful. I want them to say, Marcus, this is the best freaking investment I've ever made in my life because it's that important to me. And it ties, of course, against to the influence and the legacy. So those three things, legacy, influence, love, those are my truth and why I do what I do. So if you were able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out, what would it be? Only take advice from those who've already achieved what I want to achieve consistently at a massive scale. I find out there, there's so much, especially in today's world where anyone can grab a phone, they can film a live, they can talk about whatever, they can post whatever content. You sometimes can intake the wrong stuff. I think as Tony Robbins, he said, you have to be very careful who gives you your coffee. And what he meant by that was he said, hey, your best friend can get you a cup of coffee and accidentally put salt in there, thinking it's sugar. And your worst enemy could give you your coffee and put sugar in there instead of salt. And it wouldn't know difference. And so you have to be very careful what you take into yourself, into your body, into your brain, into your mind and who you are. So you want to protect your mind. And I find that massively important. So for me, that's advice I wish I knew early on because I was taking advice from anyone, everyone, in which I shouldn't have because it actually left me more confused, more overwhelmed, and more uncertain in what I need to do. So if I can give myself one piece of advice, only take advice from those who already achieved what I wanted to. And this is for any part of your life. And then do whatever you can, invest in acquiring knowledge as fast as possible from those people. And I'm not saying sales, I'm saying in general, if you want to be in great, physical shape and you don't know anything about nutrition, invest early on because that will compound over years, you knowing how to eat healthy and be, you know, and live the way you want to live. Same with working out, whatever it's going to be. So acquire the knowledge as fast as possible from the right people. If there are people that are listening that would love to work with you, find out more about your programs. I know that you have group coaching, you've got the one-on-one and you also do corporate trainings. What's the best way to reach you? couple of easy ways. So number one, head over to my website, which is sixfiguresalesacademy.com. 
sixfigurecalescademy.com is spelled out. Or, you know, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, probably my most active profile. So you can find me on LinkedIn, look at Marcus Chen. It's the only guy with Speedos in a tagline because like I mentioned, I sold Speedos at one point. It's funny, but mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate being on. It's been, ton, it's been a ton of fun so far today. Yeah, and I will link all of those links down below so people can access them as well. Thank you so much, Marcus, for coming on and sharing all of your expertise. It was an absolute pleasure. It's been a lot of fun today. Yeah, and if you are listening and you want more information about A Call to Thrive, you can go to acalltothrive.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening and have a wonderful week.